Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. This morning we're in uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. So if you want to go ahead and uh, turn, turn there. In the back of your bulletin uh, is an outline for, for you to follow along. But this morning, uh, before we get into the text, I really want to ask you a, a question. Uh, and it's a question that we're going to be uh, talking about throughout the sermon this morning. Is what drives you? Uh, when, I, when preparing and thinking and praying through uh, this sermon this morning, uh, I, I really had to wrestle through this question of what drives me, what drives you. And there are many things I can think about that drives us. Uh, mo- money can be a driving force in, in many people's lives. Uh, the, the will, the desire to, to win uh, can be that driving force, to be the best. You know, there, I mean, we, we, there was a, just a, a big game uh, that happened last night, Carolina and Clemson. Anybody watch it? Anybody? Okay, there's a few, few people that watch it, or at least willing to admit it. Uh, you know, that, you know that, that force to be the best, I mean, especially in our culture of, of sports, being addicted to sports, there are so many, they want to be at the top, at the pinnacle, and so that can be a driving force. Also, a driving force in many people's lives is, is the culture itself. Whatever the sway of the culture, and that might be to you to some degree. So think about this throughout the sermon is what, what drives you? Or is it fear? Because that's what I really landed on for me, is what drives me. Many times when I look back in my life, what drove me to come to church, what drove me to do some of the things that I did, it wasn't because I was this amazing guy and I did things right. It was, many times it was fear. In high school, I didn't smoke weed and drink. It wasn't because I was such a great guy, but it was, uh, it was their underlying fear of, one, disappointing my parents, and two, disappointing my coaches. So it wasn't this, you know, I, I love Jesus so much, I want to stand up for him. There was this other underlying fear of disappointing others. So what, what is your driving force? Because... Our driving force makes a big difference. Think about why you're here this morning. Why are you here for worship? What is the driving force for you being here? I'm going through a class right now in uh, church history. And many, think, many people think when you're uh, studying church history, wow, that's got to be boring. Oh, that, that's got to be terrible. How can you make it through one lecture? How can you make it through one book? But when I started studying church history, it is amazing. It is the greatest adventure ever. If you begin to look at church history, the fact that we have the Bible today intact, that we have the scripture that we're studying today, is an amazing act of God. God's divine intervention is the only reason we have what we have today. While we exist in America, when Christianity started in the Middle East, Church history is this amazing thing where men and women were put on trial for their faith and burned alive. They were tortured to death. And guess what? That's not just in church history. That's not just something of the past. That is going on now in in the present day in other countries. What drove them? 
What drove them? What drove Paul to give up this life of luxury? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a guy who was, he was a religious guy, a religious man, a religious Jew. He had what he needed. And he gave that up, this life of luxury, to go and follow Jesus. What drove him to this? Let's look at, um, we're, we're going to answer this question as Christians. What should be driving us? There's five main things that we're going to look at from the text today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting verse 11, looking at verse 11 through 13 first. It says, Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. We are completely open before God. And I hope we are completely open to your conscience as well. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to, opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a, a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we have a sound mind, it is for you. Go back to, to verse 11. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord. What drove Paul to come to this Corinthian church again? We have two of his letters. There's possibly more letters that he wrote to the Corinthian church. But these are the second letter that he wrote. It was a, a cry for them to, to repent, to turn to God. Uh, this, uh, Corinth was a very... Uh, uh, a very uh, urbanized city. It was, it was political. It had great commerce. There was a lot going on. It had a religious base as well. It was, it was Greek and Latin there as well. And so there was a, a culture there that, these, that the Corinthian church had bought into. What was their driving force many times was not their, their Savior, not their God, but their culture that they were surrounded by. And many times that is us, that we are surrounded by our culture every day, day in and day out. We are bombarded with culture. And sometimes that is what drives us to go to certain places. That's what drives us to, to buy certain things. And here Paul is saying, therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord. So that first blank, number one, is fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is, is a driving force. And this is a concept that I've wrestled with for many years. How can God, a loving God, a, 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 one who says that we are to love him, how are we to fear him in the same breath? Because Scripture is very adamant about to fear the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in Proverbs. There's other passages that talk about the fear of the Lord, that we are to fear God. How can we love God and fear him all at the same time? Because guess what? Our greatest fear is our driving force. Our greatest fear is our driving force. Think about what are you the most afraid of. Again, think about when I go back and think about high school and college. My driving force was not the Lord at the time. It was my fear of others. And so that dictated what I did. Your greatest fear is your driving force. Do you fear the Lord? And this fear of the Lord is not debilitating. This fear of the Lord doesn't keep us paralyzed. But this fear of the Lord should be freeing. It should be releasing us to the masses that we, ha we have so much courage because we fear God and no one else. We fear God, not any circumstances. There's nothing that can come in our way that we fear because we fear God and he's creator of all. See, this is why the fear of the Lord is so important for us as believers. 
Do we fear God? Do you fear him? Is that a driving force in your life? Again, this is, this is sometimes very troubling. It's troubling for us to, to think that we are to fear God, but yet we've always been talk, taught that he is the God of love. Again, I go back to your greatest fear will drive you. And then it moves on into verse 14. And it says this, For Christ's love compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. He and he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Christ's love. So what is another driving force for us as Christians? Christ's love is number two. I want you to look at, if you, if you underline in your Bible, I'd really encourage you to underline that word compel. For Christ's love compels. This was really one of the driving forces for me to, to preach this passage. Is this word compel, or yeah, compel. That in, it can also be con, uh, translated as control. That Christ's love controls or compels or is also this image of impel. That it runs through us. That the reason why we do what we do as believers is because the love of Christ, that he has loved us so much that it compels us to forgive others. It compels us to read the scriptures. It compels us to help our neighbors, neighbors in a time of need. That the love of Christ, it compels us, it controls us. It's this idea that you have died and Christ now live. See, the love of Christ, it controls us. When we, when we become a Christian, it's no longer about my wants. It's no longer about what makes me comfortable. It's no longer about what I desire in life. It's about what does Christ desire? What is he driving me to do? And this is a lifelong pursuit. No matter how young you are or how old you are, it is the love of Christ that compels us to be compassionate. It is the love of Christ. And then he, he so the love of Christ compels us. And then look what it says. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Why do you come to church? Why do you go to work? Why do you stay in your family? Why do you do what you do? Is it the love of Christ that compels you? Or is it fear? Is it failure? Is it making sure that you have a right image before others? Let it be the love of Christ that controls you, that compels you. Because it's not our desires. See, we were bought with a price. And in the first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 6 and chapter 7, Paul tells them that they were bought at a price. That Christ died and he paid the price for them. So it's no longer them. It's no longer their desires. They don't get to just do whatever the culture is doing any longer. They are removed from that. They were bought from that. It's this idea of a slave being purchased out of slavery. And that's you and I, that we were a slave to sin. But when Christ died for us, when we accepted him as Lord and Savior, we were bought out of that to live this new life. 
to be compelled by the love of Christ, no longer by the compulsion of our sin, but by the, the compelling love of Christ. So what compels you? What drives you? And I, I love the imagery there of what impels you. It comes through you. Number three, and continue on, verse 17 says this. It says, therefore, anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things pass away. And look, new things have come. That we can no longer say, well, that's just who I am. That when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you are a new creation in Christ. That he's created you brand new. And that we can no longer have the excuse of, that's just who I am. I'm just mean. I'm just sarcastic. That's one of the things that in Christ I am learning more and more. That in Christ, Rebecca and I, we have talked a lot. And what compels her to forgive me when I've been sarcastic and rude is the love of Christ. And what compels me to change is not because my wife asked me to, but because the love of Christ. If I'm going to love her as Christ loved the church, then I am compelled to change. I'm compelled to love my family, not because of obligation, not because of imagery, but because of the love of Christ, he has loved me. I am compelled to love others. I have to forgive others. I am a new creation. I'm no longer my own. What drives you? What drives you? You are a new creation. God has called us to great things. He's called you to great things. You are new. Number four, it says your God-given responsibility. 18 through 20. It says, Everything is from God, who reconciles us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is huge here. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Listen to this. Therefore, since we know that, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That you and I are ambassadors for Christ. And you and I are representatives of Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on, the, on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Your God-given responsibility that you and I are reconciled to Christ, not to just sit here. That we are called to greater things. That we are his ambassadors. No matter where you are at in life, that you are in the, the ambassador of Christ. That you are his representative. And that you've been given this ministry of reconciliation. It's this amazing thing that you as a believer and me as a believer, that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. That means we write relationships as best we can, that we offer forgiveness, that we take that first step of, of, of forgiveness, that we don't wait until if I've been wrong, I don't wait until someone else comes to me. I offer that up first because guess what? God has reconciled us to himself and he has given us that ministry of reconciliation where he's, he's willing to right relationships. Are you willing to take that step are you willing to be the fool to be Christ's ambassador? One of the things that just kind of struck me 
Uh, so my parents came in. I don't know if you saw that. They did come in a little bit late. I'll call them out on that. Um, so they're up here if you want to look at them. Uh, but uh, they, they came in late. And one of the things I saw is Sullivan, my son, he comes running across and gives my dad a big old hug. He didn't care that all, all of you were. He was at the front of the, the church. He didn't care. One of the things I was thinking of, I'm so glad they're here. I'm glad they came to, to hear me preach and to hear the word spoken. But I didn't come running across and give my parents a big old hug. But my son did. He didn't care what was going on. And think about that. As, as children of God, as, as, that's how we are to approach God. That he wants us to run to him no matter who's looking. That we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. That we run with ambition. That we run with no guard, no worry about who's looking. Because that's what I just saw earlier is that, man, my son, he loves his grandparents so much. He doesn't care what's going on. What his focus was, was who? My dad and my mom. What is our focus? What drives us? Because if what drives us is that same love of Christ, is it the fear of God? Is it that we are a new creation? Is it that we've been given this new responsibility of being ambassadors of Christ? Because if it is, then nothing else will matter. It won't matter how others are treating you. It won't matter the situation that you're in in life. Because again, I go back to, to church history and I think, and these men uh, of church history that were burned at the stake, that were uh, thrown into the arenas, that were, that were just trying to translate the word of God into a known or into the common language so that you and I would be able to read scripture. What compelled them? It was this, the fear of the Lord, the love of Christ, the fact that they were a new creation in Christ, that they had a given responsibility. And look at this. We have a responsibility to ambassadors. And then right there at the end it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. This is the gospel. That you and I are reconciled to Christ. And that's my, my, my gospel proclamation this morning is that if you are not reconciled with Christ, do that this morning. It is the love of Christ that will drive you to himself. Be reconciled with him. And say so he's given this opportunity to you and I. Why would he give this opportunity to us? Man, we make so many of the mistakes, right? I mean, just think about this past week. How many of you made a mistake cooking Cooking for Thanksgiving. Anybody willing to admit it? No? Every, all the cooking. I know Miss Gail had a, a great meal at her house. But we all make mistakes. But he is, he's willing to give this proclamation to us, to you and I. And then lastly, number five. It says, we are the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. Verse 20, 21, it says this. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He imputed, he gave his righteousness to us that you and I have no standing without Christ. That our righteousness will not ever get us to heaven. Paul talks about his righteous deeds as dirty 
that they're filthy rags. Uh, and Paul, he, he counts them, he discards them all, except for knowing Christ. He says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was the one that bore the penalty for our sin. The reason why this all circles back that it's the fear of the Lord. It's the, the love of Christ. It's the we are a new creation. It's our responsibility. And we are God's righteousness. That's given to us by Jesus. How the, the song that we sang, uh, that we can boldly approach God. We can boldly approach his throne. When we were singing that, I was thinking of, of this last part. The only reason why you and I can boldly approach God is not because of what you've done right or what I've done right. It's because of what Jesus did for us and that he has given us his righteousness and taken our sin on his own. That he is this great exchange, as theologians call it, this exchange that he gave us his righteousness and he took our sin. Do you understand that? Do we see that this morning? Because this is a driving force. If we understand who we are in Christ, it will drive us to do amazing things, crazy things. Things where this, this culture will say, you are crazy. Why would you stay with your husband? Why would you stay with your wife? Why would you take that child back into your home? Why would you go and love your neighbor? Why would you give up that boat, that vacation, so that you could give to someone else? Why would you do these crazy things? And it's because of the love of Christ. It's not because of a compulsion. It's not because of guilt. It's because we love Jesus so much and we know who we are in him, that he has given us his righteousness so that we are right before God. As John Mark comes up and, uh, and plays for us, we're going to close out. I want you to think uh, through this, this last question. What drives you to do what you do? So let's bow and pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.